Good. Uh, I also really want to say thank you to everyone. They said thank you too. It's been really fun to be together. And uh, also, thanks a lot to the worship folks leading us in worship. Just really appreciate your service, your time. And, uh, and I want to thank the sound guys again publicly while they're listening. Nobody ever acknowledges the sound guys. All right. And, uh, and I, uh, I, I had a warning to you last, that was last night, wasn't it? It feels like longer. It's last night. I warned you that some things could happen in this place that could change you permanently. So just, I'm just curious, up to this point, how many of you feel as though you have something that you think that maybe God spoke to you, that you're going to try to work out by way of calling or some next steps? You, you feel like you have a pretty clear assignment of something that God is asking of you as you leave this place already. How many of you feel that way? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Nobody cheered? That's fine. Okay, I, I, thought, I thought it was pretty interesting. That's pretty amazing. To think that in a little, that short of a time, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I find that amazing. And I, I would challenge you, and I agree with uh, James in that, you know, so many things happen in these environments that you have to somehow make yourself accountable. <laughs> Tell other people quickly. Even now, as you're listening to me, you should text whatever it is that you think God's speaking to you to a friend that will bother you about it. You could, you could do that now. You know you've been playing with your phones periodically. Might as well just text, text now and so that you're just kind of, that's kind of kept on your radar. Do you agree? You think that'd be important? If you know someone who raised their hand, make sure you talk to them. They're going to regret raising their hand maybe. But, but it, would be, it would be good to, to talk about that so you know what's going on. Well, uh, tonight... As we wrap up, I, I want to talk to you about uh, the potential of what can happen after a conference like this and our time together. It might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen the next day. But there is something that happens by way of momentum in the way that we experience our life with God. How things change, how they, it ebbs and it flows, right? And as you're in an environment like this and you're singing worship songs and there's all these people around and you're drinking coffee and you're you know, praying and all your conversations around meals are so inspired and excited. And then you go back to reality. It's not at all like this, is it? You know, so, you know, and if our God is for us, who could stop? It's pretty passionate. Well, that part might have been as passionate for you. He, he, they do a better job singing. But, 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 you know, it's so exciting and passionate and you're just sort of peeking as you through something like this, and then you go back to your normal life, and some, some and reality sets in. And you're not in a room where everybody's worshiping together, and you're not receiving prayer ministry every few hours. <laughs> you know, like you're. Well, how do we make sure that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? How do we do that? We can't all be together, right? How can we be doing things that we know, that we know, that we know, that God is about, and when we leave places like this, we 
stay in step with the Holy Spirit. See, when I, um, when I first came to faith, when I first came to faith, I came to faith, it would take too long to describe the story tonight, but I, I came through a legitimate encounter with God. I was reading the Bible, I had an encounter with God, and uh, the presence of God filled my room. I was sobbing like a small girl. And <laughs> actually, that's not fair to small girls. It was much worse than that. And, and I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real and that he loved me. I just knew it. And the instant thing for me to do as a result of that, not being around church people, was to tell other people that didn't know Jesus about what had happened to me. Because those were the only people I knew were like, other people. So I just started telling my friends. And, you know, I had no, I had zero uh, Bible or theology or apologetics. I had nothing. It was just like, man, this is so true. You should know Jesus. And they'd be like, well, what do I think? I don't even know what I think about that stuff. Yeah, I don't have an answer to anything that you're going to ask me other than this is true. And you should know Jesus. You know what was strange about that? It kind of worked. People, people could see such dramatic change in my life that they started to follow Jesus. I had friends around me following Jesus with me, and, and it was almost on accident. And we did what later I discovered to be known as Bible studies. I didn't know there were Bible studies. I went, wasn't sophisticated enough to know that. I would just ha- say, let's all get together, and we can like talk about this together. And we get together, and we would just... I mean, I think back on those things, and it was like... It was just pure heresy. There was, I don't know, it was just unadulterated, pure heresy. It was like, you know, we're just like making things up and, you know, but, but, but it was fresh and alive and responding to God. And then over time, you know, I ended up in a church, a great church and started getting to know other people that loved God and followed Jesus. And I started being in more and more rooms like this. And I started to experience more and more passion in my life with God. And I read the Bible and I had all kinds of things. But something really strange happened to me. I got further and further away from people that didn't have any life with Jesus. And only was I further and further away from them, I also saw a corresponding thing, which was Something inside of my heart began to grow cold. Uh, it, it wasn't as noticeable because I was still in rooms with lots of people doing passionate church stuff. So I was kind of inspired because of the spaces I was in, the amount of excitement in the room. But something had happened that changed me, and I, I, I didn't feel it right away. I, I couldn't even tell really what it was. And, and these kinds of environments became almost like a, like a Christian crack. Like it was like a drug. Do you have crack cocaine here? <laughs> Probably not. Probably call it something else. It was like Christian crack, and I'm not referring to the coffee, although that is Christian crack. What, what I... What I <laughs> think about it. What I am referring to is that, that need, that kind of experience of that kind of constant high of different kind of spiritual environments where I would have these encounters with God's presence, but it never seemed to sort of remain and stick with me. And 
And you know, the momentum, unfortunately, of our lives as we follow Jesus, specifically as we are in church, the momentum, if we're not paying attention, if we're not watching what happens to us, the momentum is always inward. We will consistently, as we grow in our life with God, we will find ourselves, if we're not paying attention, we will find ourselves more and more involved in Christian community and more and more in church experiences. We lose track of the fact that there's a world going on around us. Now, I'm not saying these things aren't great, but what I am saying is that there are things that God values more than great church experiences. I just want to make sure you hear what I just said because it might be controversial at first to hear. There are things that God values more than great church experiences. It's even more controversial. The truth is, throughout the scriptures, Jesus is really clear that God values those that do not know him more than those that do. Let that sink in for a second. That you're like, that's heresy. You're still doing heresy. You know, from the beginning to now, that's heresy. He values those outside in a way that's disorienting and confusing for those of us that would see ourselves as inside. And listen, this is the basic thought. If you want to know that you're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit... You need to love what God loves and be involved in what God is involved in. And you can be 100% sure if you want to be in step with the Spirit, one of the ways that you know you can be a part of what God is doing is to be involved in engaging the loss. Make your life and your passion and your purpose and your energy and your time and your prayers about the loss. As pastors, if we want churches that are healthy and we know that God's Spirit is with us, we should be about the lost. Because Jesus, as he walked around, had this incredible knack for offending religious people. If there were religious people anywhere near him, they got angry at him. And eventually, that anger kind of boils over and they confront him on a series of occasions in the scriptures about why does he seem to love the wrong people so much? Why isn't he playing with the team that he's supposed to be playing with? Why is he working with the people that are outside more than the people that are on the inside? And in Luke chapter 15, he tells a series of stories to describe Not just what he's doing, but why he does it and the heart that God has that he is exemplifying through his life. If you have a Bible, you can look look at Luke chapter 15. Because there is some incredibly controversial things here. Where Jesus challenges maybe our preconceived notions and the kind of common momentum that we would have as we follow our life with God. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful... We end up growing inwardly instead of engaging those who are outside. Listen to what uh, Luke says. Luke says this. He says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I like that. I I don't know what you think. I like the, the notorious sinners. Not the normal sinners. The notorious ones. Notorious. Okay, and so... Yeah, okay. 
So the question is, is when did you first hear that? Was it Biggie? How many of you is it Biggie? How many was it Duran Duran? Are there any old people here? Okay, there's three of you. Okay, so you're like, who's Duran Who is that? Okay. <laughs> that had nothing to do with the sermon. I am so sorry. I'm moving on. <laughs> Notorious. I just every time I see it, that that good, that little riff goes to my mind. I have to say it out loud, or else it goes for the rest of the time. Okay, <laughs> those sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, would it be that we have such an incredible ministry? That we, we take on the ministry of Jesus that religious people might look at us and say, why do you love those who are so far away? Why do you make space and time to be with those that are so blown up and hurting? Wouldn't it be great if that was, when's the last time you got, had a nice religious person confront you about loving those who are far away? I'd love that. Verse 3. And I, this is just classic Jesus. You know, I, I just, if you, you got to come off the page a little bit in that, you know, we're so used to reading the Bible. Like, isn't it crazy that Jesus will just answer like really important questions with stories? Can you imagine doing that in your, in your normal life? I would encourage you to try it. <laughs> this week, this month, just try it. Somebody asks you a really important question. I mean, how do you think that this works? I mean, how does it work about how God is sovereign, but yet you have free will and, and you should protect? You say, you know, here's a story. Wouldn't that be great? See if you can get away with it. Probably won't. <laughs> Jesus tells a story, and actually he tells a series of three stories, which just shows how important this is to him. First story. Jesus told him a story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. I just want to make sure you heard what he just said. There's more. There's more. That's the whole more value thing. There's more joy in heaven over the one who is far away that comes than the 99 that he already had. Can you imagine the Pharisees, the good religious people saying, oh, listen to this, they're like, what? That is rude. That is not nice. And he's just like, yeah, well, it's just the truth. There's more. And, you know, and, and ladies, I appreciate how, how Jesus thinks of the ladies. He tells the story of the, of the shepherd who goes after the sheep, and then he turns around and he tells the story for the ladies. Here's, here's, this, here's one for you. <laughs> Verse 8. I know we leave you out, ladies, and, you know, all these guy preachers talking about 300, kicking people in wells, chopping off limbs. Here's one for you. Verse 8. Or, or, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and 
Search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, just to give you a little cultural context on this, uh, to show you why this is so significant, specifically for the single ladies. In, in the culture, ten coins denoted like that your it was effectively to show that your family was wealthy, so you would wear ten coins, and that would show that your, your family had enough wealth to provide such a thing. You'd wear that on your body as a single lady, and it was a way of showing that you are available. So it would be like saying to all the single men, this could be yours. And the coins. <laughs> all the single ladies. So, so you got. <laughs> sorry, I have to get them all out. I'm. I've, I, it, it'll. <laughs> well, it's out now. I'm, I feel better. So, like, like what single girl here? If there was like this clear way of showing that you're available, what what single girl here will walk out with nine coins? There isn't one. You know, I lost that coin. We are, we are tearing this place apart. Because my future husband might be right outside that door. There is no way I'm going to the cause conference without my clothes right. I, I just switched it, if you didn't notice, to the present. So that's what happens in places like this. But, but anyway, it's a good spot to... Think like that. But, but anyway, so, so, I mean, you imagine being like, there is no way until I am looking right. I'm walking out of this. And you, you call your friends over. You can find that, you can find that coin. I want to tear the floor up until we find that coin. You find that coin. It's like, yes. What's interesting about this passage is it's talking about lostness. Is classically in our culture, people would be offended at being called lost. You know, there's a, there's a bumper sticker that is in the U.S. that says, not all that wander are lost. Do you guys have that here? It's like a way of saying, I'm not lost. I'm just wandering. It's kind of like being lost, but okay. You know, you could say they're, they're trying to make a, make a point. Like, how dare you call me lost? Because the, the opposite of lost would be found, Right? So you're found and I'm lost, that's rude, that's offensive. But the, man, that is not at all Jesus' point here. Lostness in the passage denotes value. The lostness of, uh, of the sheep and of the coin, and we're about to see of the son, shows how valuable that item, that person is. Uh, for example, uh, when my wife... Now my wife, Danielle, and I, we were engaged. You know, I, we had no money. We got, I got her an engagement ring. It was like all the money I had to get this ring. We get this ring, and we're, we're, we're engaged. We're going to get married. And we're just like a month out from the wedding. And she says, Jay, I have to tell you something. I can't find the ring. I don't know where it is. So you don't know where the ring I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I don't know where the ring is. Well, did you, where did you look? I've looked everywhere. And she starts crying. I said, oh, it's okay, honey. We're going to find the ring. I mean, come on. It's got to be around. 
So, you know, we start, you know, in all the normal places, the sink and, you know, in the, in the bathroom. Maybe she took off by, by her bed, maybe, you know. And it was by the end of that day that I am, I am on my hands and knees putting my fingers where the carpet reaches the wall, like pulling back the carpet, searching with my fingertips as though the ring would just fly off and get jammed into the wall somehow. But this, it showed how desperate I was. It was that we had taken apart every sink in the house just in case. Somehow it flung down the sink. She could not remember where it went. That is how desperate it was. It was until this is found, we are not doing anything else. Because I don't have any more money. So we are going to find the ring. Okay? I don't care what. No, no, cancel your plans. We are finding the ring. Focus. Value. Purpose. Instant. Jesus is saying, this is how I see those who don't know me. It all stops. It all stops until we pull them in. All this other religious stuff we do, if it isn't to that end, if it isn't to go reach and to engage and to draw, to show them how valuable they really are, all the rest. I mean, it, it, what you don't understand is what he's telling the Pharisees is how valuable these people really are. See, in your foundness, you somehow see yourself as better, but I'll tell you, you should be about this. You were always found that you might pursue those who are lost because they are so valuable to the Father. Do you not hear my heart? Catch my heart is what he's saying. This is what makes this whole thing go. This is what God is up to. They've gotten so used to all these other things they had lost track of that. And of course, then he tells the story of the lost son. Powerful story. I, I'm not going to read the whole story to you. You've, you've probably heard of it before, commonly called the prodigal son. But it's a son who is tired of his dad. <laughs> He's the younger son. And he effectively says, hey, dad, I know I'm going to get an inheritance someday. I would just prefer not to wait until you're dead. Is there any way we could just pretend like you're dead now? I could just get that money. In other words, he's saying, I wish you were dead. Give me the money. Now, I don't know. I don't know how many of you are parents. Probably not many of you. But I don't know, think you need to be a parent to, to think about what you would do in a scenario like that. Somebody, my son, my daughter, were to say, wish you were dead. Can I have the money? I would say, you're going to wish you were dead <laughs> in a minute. You don't get to talk to me like that ever. Go to your room. <laughs> but what's so amazing about the story of the father is, as you know, he gives. He just goes, okay. Had to know that the son was going to go crazy. And the son, of course, goes off to a distant land, says. The story goes and makes a hip-hop video. 
So if it wasn't a video, it's a live, ongoing hip-hop video. Those of you who have seen hip-hop videos know what I'm saying. And, and then eventually the money runs out. And as soon as the money runs out, like it does for so many people who are living crazy lives, and the money runs out, all the friends were really there for the money. They leave. And then a thing happens that the sun was not expecting. A famine sweeps through the land. And that's always what happens to those who are prodigals that run away. They think they can exploit and have as much fun as they want. And eventually the fun runs out and a famine sets in. I wasn't going to say this part, but as I was, was we were in worship, I felt as though God just wanted me to say really clear. It might just be for one person here tonight. See, as, as there's one or two of you that are prodigals, you've been running. And you run away, and, and the, the mistake is that you think that you're in control. If you could just get enough space, you could just do what you want to do with your life, and you'll be in control. And that's when, inevitably, a famine comes. Something happens that's out of your control. You lose your job, somebody gets pregnant. Something happens that's outside of your ability to control it anymore and the consequences of your distance are suddenly coming to bear on your life. And it's in that moment that in the story, it says that the the son who, while he's working a job feeding pigs, not a good job for a, a good Jewish boy, He's feeding pigs. It's while he's looking at the pig food that he thinks, man, that pig food looks good. I should probably eat some of that. And that's when there's this really interesting little phrase here in the account. It says, then he came to his senses. It's an interesting line. He came to his senses. It's this interesting verse because Jesus is describing that we can go through all kinds of very stupid decisions But there's a moment, quite literally a miracle, often in our lives where all of a sudden we go, wait a minute, what am I doing? Now what's weird about this story is why didn't he come to his senses in the middle of the hip-hop video? Why didn't he come to his senses when the money ran out? Why didn't he come to his senses when all the friends left? Why didn't he come to his senses when he started working with pigs? No, there was something magical about the pig food. I don't know what it was, nor do you. No one knows. This is, seriously, in in the bit of time that I've done pastoral work and worked in churches and done stuff, this is a miracle of how people's lives change. You never know what it's going to take for someone to come to their senses. Sometimes people come to their senses at the smallest things, very small things. I remember as a pastor, I had someone come up and say, uh, you know, grab me, I, I need to talk to you, I need an appointment. Sure, we sit down and and they immediately burst into tears. Go, oh, I just, I can't believe I've done it. It's so terrible. I go, what happened? What has happened? Is it all like, you're going to just hate me? And I said, okay, what happened? What happened? They're just under so much conviction. I said, I was with my girlfriend. Okay. And what happened? And then we were kissing a lot. Okay. And what happened? And then we were laying on top of each other. Okay. And then, then what? I said, okay, what happened? <laughs> 
And I said, that's it. That's all that happened. No, it's okay. Listen, we're, we're already here. Just tell me what happened. It's good to just confess. No, that's really it. That's really it. No, it's okay. I mean, for real, like, just tell me. Like, just tell me. No, that's really it. That was it. Come on. No, I, I, I swear, that was it. That's all, that's all that happened. Oh. Okay. Well... What, so what do you want to do now? I mean, what, what, what do you... He said, oh, but you know, just, I, Jay, here's what I realized. I could just feel the lust pulling in my heart and ready to pull me over a cliff. And I just knew if I don't draw a line right here, this, that I could open up something that I would just regret later. And I looked at him and I thought, that looks like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Looks like the Lord. And I, and I just went, wow, you're responding to God's conviction. Way to go. We pray. I, we prayed together. I just thought, that's amazing. Same day, not much long later after that, had another appointment. Guy comes in. He sits down. He's like, well, you know, I don't know. Yes, you know, my girlfriend, you know, we're dating. She said I should come in and talk to you. I said, well, what's going on? You know, we've been struggling. What do you mean struggling? Well, we crossed some boundaries. What kinds of boundaries? Well, you know, there's lines that we know that God wouldn't want us to cross. We cross those lines. What are the lines? Well, you know, we've really fallen. You ever played this game? See how I'm doing? I'm not actually saying anything at all. I haven't said anything to this point at all. Zero things have been said. Just lots of nice churchy things. And so finally, I just keep pressing him. What, what happened? What happened? What happened? He's like, listen, it's not a big deal. It's just nothing. I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, well, we've been regularly having sex, like constantly. And I know it's probably something God isn't great, really thrilled about, but, you know, whatever. What are you going to do, right? I, 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 got, I got a thought. You could not have sex. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing you could... That's a thought. What was so weird was to see those two appointments almost back-to-back and just think, what makes this person feel conviction for this? And this person's in this, and they're just like, yeah, whatever. I have no idea. I have no idea. Even when I look at my own life, I have no idea. There's things that I have struggled through and just managed for huge percentages of my life that I look back on and I think, why didn't I change that? What was wrong with me? And you know, I don't know how to measure that as a pastor. I don't know why that happens. But here's what I do know. When you come to your senses, you better respond. Because if you harden your heart as you come to your senses, you have no idea how long it's going to take before you wake up again. Do you? You have no idea. And there's been moments in my life that I was coming to my senses, maybe even in a room like this, where I have a sense of the Holy Spirit saying, Jay, this is an issue. You need to work on this. And I just go, yeah, it's fine. And it takes, I, seriously, I can, I can tell you moments in my life where it took years before I woke back up to that. And I think to myself, I'm going to respond. And then I look back and I go, there were other times God was trying to talk to me about this and I ignored it because I was afraid, because I thought I knew my way was better and I, I mean, what's it going to take? That's what you have to ask yourself. You don't want to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. Do you want it to like, do you, I mean, do you want it to get a lot worse before you respond? Because the reason God convicts us is because he loves us and he wants to change things. Okay, mini sermon inside of a sermon. Let's get back to the lostness of the son. So, the son eventually comes back. And I love the story about the son coming back because 
you know, uh, he prepares a speech. You know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You ever made a speech? Like for school or something? The dog, the homework fell over, water fell on, and the dog ate it. No, that's, that's not believable. Um, let's try again. Just the dog ate it. No, that won't. Okay, you, you, so you practice what you're going to say. He's practicing his speech. And as he's walking home, he's practicing the speech. And of course, you know the story. The father comes rushing out as he's practicing his speech. He's practicing his speech. He's walking. The father's running towards him. Imagine you're the son. You look up and there's your father running towards you. Huh. wonder why he's running. Never really seen him run before. I don't know. I don't know what you would think, but my, my thought would be, when he gets closer, I'm just going to duck. I know he's going to hit me, so I just think I'll just wince a little. I can just absorb the blow. I can absorb it with my face. I would, I would be concerned, you know, because that would be a, a natural assumption as he's running towards you. As you've been, if you've lost all this money, you've been living this terrible life. Of course, you know the story. Father wraps his arms around the son. And you know what? The son still gives his stupid speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like, but the father, if you look at the text, you compare the speeches, the father interrupts the speech. Nah, enough of that. Let's throw a party. My son, who was dead, is now alive. Even after he's been hugged, the son continues the speech. Even after he's been loved, the son continues the speech. What in the world is wrong with that boy? What's wrong with him? You know what's wrong with him? The same things that are wrong with you. The same things that are wrong with me. Ultimately, we live with a deep-seated fear that we're always going to be in trouble. And then when we're with God, when we come to God, when we come close to him, we're going to be in trouble. And Jesus paints this picture so clearly to say that when the lost come in, you can be with the Father and embrace this moment. That's how you be a part of it. But there's, of course, an older son who doesn't participate in the party. You know this? This is when he's really turning the screws on the Pharisees. He effectively is saying, you're like the older son that won't come into the party because you're mad that the younger son, the one who has just blown it and messed it up, that son is being embraced. And you see that as unfair. And you know what? You're right. It's not fair. But here's the difference. Do you want to come and join the party or do you want to stand outside whining about it? There's a party and you're welcome to be a part of it. You can be a part of watching what God wants to do and bringing lost people home. That's what you get to do. That's how you join the party. And our churches, if we want a clear sense that the Holy Spirit is with us, we need to be about seeing the lost come home. Because we know that's what the Holy Spirit's up to. That's what he's up to all over the city right now, isn't he? He's up to that. When he paints a picture of a, of a child, I, I think being a father has been one of the form, most formational things for me. 
sort of understanding my life with God in the heart of the Father. Being a dad has made me think about God as my dad and a dad differently. I want you to imagine, imagine this. Imagine that we're on a camping trip. On the dark, cool night, standing by a campfire, I stand up and I say, Listen, everyone, I need your attention. My daughter has been lost. I don't know where she is. She's eight years old. The last time I saw her, she was wearing a pink jacket. She was wearing a little pink jacket. She's, she's about this tall. I'm, I'm circulating a picture. If you could look at that picture, and I think if we break up right now, if we hurry, we can catch up to her. It, I, the last time I saw her, she was walking that way. Please, will you help me? I don't know where she went. And it's getting dark. And if we hurry, I think we can find her. I, I, she couldn't have gone that far. Please help me. And I grab a few people and I, boom, I, I run off into the woods. And some people gather around and say, well, you know, we, we really, before we go look, we, we really need just a great plan. I've heard that there's books written about finding people who are lost in scenarios like this. Does anyone have a book like that? I have a, I, I've read a book like that. What did you learn about that? What did you learn? And then someone else says, you know, I once, I once sang a song about being lost in the woods. <laughs> it might help us. What do you, what do you say? Let's, let's sing it. Let's sing it. And we're singing the song around the campfire, and then before you know it, we got some marshmallows out. We're cooking in the fire, singing songs about helping the lost people. I'll tell you what, as a father, if I come back to that campfire and just see people sitting around singing, the best thing I'll do, best case scenario, is I'll just walk away. That's the best you could hope for. So I'll just walk away and be like, you know what? They obviously just don't get it. They don't understand my heart. They don't understand who I am. They don't value what I value. That's the best you could hope for. The worst is much worse. See, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and he would say to us tonight, you want to keep fresh in your life with God, you want to be about what God, join him on the search party. Go and rescue those who are far. They're lost and they don't know it. Most people who are lost don't know it. They're not choosing to be lost, they just don't know it. Have you ever been lost and you didn't know it? Ah, we don't need directions. I can figure this out. I can figure this out. I got this. Guys, you listen to me? Like, I got this. It's fine. We're not lost. Why, why are we driven around the same place like 50 times? See, most people don't know they're lost. They don't know they're lost, but they are. And God says, come and join me in the search party. Feel my heart. Come and be with me. 
If you want to know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your city, I can guarantee you one thing for sure. What he's doing right now is he's engaging those who are far from him. There is someone right now in your city, very likely not far from you, that is up this very night saying, God, are you real? Are you real? I don't know if you're real. There's somebody that's in some kind of a difficult marriage that's just going, God, is there a way you can help? There are people all over your city that God is drawing by his spirit. And he says, how about you come help me? Come be a part of what I'm doing. And I think tonight, if you haven't been messed up thoroughly quite yet, I think tonight God might do something in that he would put his very big heart in our little bodies. My personal experience is, is I just have said, God, give me your heart for people, for this city. It is a dangerous prayer to pray because he does it. And, and uh, you just begin to break. You feel what he feels. You can't just do business as usual. You can't just go back and do church stuff. The same way anyway. It has to prepare and equip us to be a part of what God's heart is about, which is, again, being a part of the search party, pressing out into the darkness, grabbing a hold of those that are far from him and showing them the wonderful life and light of Jesus.